Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy or making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to lead through a pandemic by adapting your routines, supporting your staff, and focusing on self-care. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Charles Williams. Welcome to Lesson Impossible's five-part series on educational leadership. In this series of episodes, we'll hear from Anthony Turcala about the nature of the job of school administrator, from Craig Randall about a trust-based model of observation and feedback, from Rolina Valentine about overcoming extreme obstacles, from Joyce Matthews about training teachers and administrators to lead their own professional development, and from Charles Williams on leading through crisis, like, for instance, a pandemic. My hope is that by the end of these five episodes, you'll have a clearer idea of what school leaders do, the challenges they face, the connections they make within their schools, and how they grow as professionals. Agent Charles Williams is back for another mission, which is very much a continuation of our conversation from April, when I interviewed Charles for an episode I called Planning for a Post-COVID World. In that episode, we talked about the various ways that we imagined our educational systems could evolve, and how this historical moment was an opportunity for massive perspective shifts. Back then, I imagined that I would interview Charles after the pandemic was over, and we would look back on our hopes and predictions. However, we are clearly not yet in a post-COVID world. I'd say that we're barely in a pre-post-COVID world. Regardless, I wanted to touch base with Charles for this leadership series, because I think he is a great example of a leader who, as we discuss, is able to reflect before taking action, constantly thinking about positive change, and walks his talk. I spoke to Charles, who carved some time out for me between being the principal of Plato Learning Academy in Chicago and the host of the Counter Narrative podcast in late November. All right, Charles, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. This is going to be our third conversation, fourth if we include you interviewing me. So I'm so happy that you're willing to still talk to me. Aviva, thank you for allowing me to come back into this space. And, um, you know, it is always a pleasure connecting with you. So I, I hope that this is not the last time that we get together. Me too. And the reason that I wanted to talk to you today was I know that you are an amazing leader, having listened to your podcast as as well as other people that have worked with you. And I wanted to talk to you as part of the leadership series about the challenges, but also the opportunities that have come to you as a leader because of COVID and just maybe sharing some of the lessons that you've learned. So to start off with, what is your COVID situation? I know you guys are remote right now. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So we've been in a remote setting since March. You know, when it was first announced, it was like, I think, two weeks and then it was another two weeks and then it was, you know, through the end of the year. And, um, you know, there, there was this big push for us to go hybrid this summer. 
Uh, but when school started, we were in remote. So we've been remote now since March. Uh, you know, Chicago Public Schools has announced that there is a plan for us to return on February 1st. Um, but, you know, we have a very strong union here in Chicago. So they are critical in this idea that we're still remote right now. So curious to see how that plays out, you know, when the new year comes around. And have you been getting pushback from parents? Because I know, like, I, I personally am not a parent, but I can imagine on one hand, I would be really worried about my child's health and safety, but I might also need to go to work myself. And I'm worried about the teachers, but I'm always worried about them being by themselves or finding childcare. Like, what has the parental response been? Yeah, you know, I think overall our parents have, you know, kind of mirrored those that that double concern, right? There, there is definitely a part of them that wants them in school for a variety of reasons, right? They they don't believe that remote learning is as rich um, as is will be as effective as um, you know in person learning, and we all agree with that. But on the other side, you know they 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 want their children to be safe, and they don't think that there are enough safety precautions in place right now that will make sure that they're staying safe and. You know, for example, in my building, despite the fact that we only have a handful of people in the building, amongst my staff, we've I think we've had four or five cases. Now, it has not been transferred within the building, but it just kind of goes to show you that, you know, people are not immune to this, right? We're not in this kind of bubble when we're in the school. And so it's very possible that as teachers and students come into the school, you know, they're going to bring this in with them. And so they really want to make sure how are people being safe in the schools? And, you know, I, I don't think that is a risk that they're, you know, some of my parents are willing to take. And then as the leader in the building, how has that changed the way that you do your job? Uh, you know, it, it, it's been interesting. You know, we we really have had to make shifts across the board. Um, you know, one of the things that I loved to do when, you know, when we were in session was I would do my daily rounds, um, you know, several times during the day, you know, I would just kind of walk through the building, pop into classes or, or look in just to kind of get a pulse of what's going on, letting the teachers know that I'm there to support them if they needed anything, you know, letting the students know, hey, you know, you have a very visible principal here. And so I do some of that same exact thing, even though we're remote. So every day I pop into every single classroom, you know, and I just check in, right? Sometimes I just kind of sit back and watch and I'm, I'm consistently blown away by the amazing creative lessons that teachers are coming up with for this remote learning environment. You know, sometimes it's just interacting with students. Um, you know, it, it's just really trying to make them know, allow them to know, hey, I'm still here. You know, and, and, and the focus has changed, right? I, I've really tried to tell my teachers and not just tell them, but to practice this as well is that I, I believe that our focus should be shifting, right? I, I know everybody calls this remote learning because it is, it's, it's distant learning, but it's not like the pandemic has gone away, right? Back in March and April, we called it crisis learning because we were in the midst of a crisis. And if I'm not mistaken, we're still in that crisis. Like we, we, we have a better understanding and a little better control, but we're still in crisis mode. So we can't, you know, pretend as if remote learning is the same as, you know, in-person learning just, you know, through social media. And so that has been one of the biggest shifts is like, how do we bridge that, right? How do we balance accountability for students and families along with whole, you know, 
showing them that that care and that grace that we often talk about. And so it's been a big shift. How do you work with your teachers to find that middle ground? How do you, if there's a teacher that's like, no, I'm failing that kid for A, B, and C, like, how do you work with a teacher when you're saying, no, I want more grace? You know, I, I think that it's, it has to start before this, right? I, I don't think, and to be honest, I, I really believe that this is where some of the individuals that, you know, that are saying I, I'm having so many issues and things like that around this is because it is not a mindset or a belief that already existed. I, I think one of the things that why we were so successful and why this transition was so smooth for us was because this was a mindset and a practice that we had in place well before this. You know, I, I've been preaching now for the last several months is that we are at a precipice, right? This this pandemic has given us a position that we can change things, have some drastic impacts on education. But I was already trying to put those things into place in my building prior to, right? So one of the things that I you know, we, we all talk about is this idea of relationships. And so I built that with my teachers, right? And so I wanted to model that with them so they can replicate that with their students. And so, you know, when we went into this, in fact, it was some of the teachers immediately telling me, I don't want to fail my student because maybe they're home alone. You know, maybe they have this issue that, you know, they can't access the internet and, and I don't want to fail them you know, because it isn't a reflection of what they're able to do. Instead, that's going to be a reflection of their current condition, right? And so while I, I, I know you can't go backwards and change things that have already, you know, kind of happened, but these were things that we had built in place. So, you know, the idea of grading with grace and, you know, just understanding and slowing down and kind of shifting gears wasn't something that was extremely challenging because these were things that we already kind of practiced. On the other hand, because I, I do understand that there are a lot of students and families that are struggling. Uh, I had the chance to interview Dr. Scott Mock, and he was talking about finding examples of where this has actually been a positive thing, obviously not 100% positive, but it has been positive for students in terms of opening up their learning, divorcing time from the idea of how much you've learned. Students of color are saying that they're feeling safer and there's less microaggressions, like all those sorts of things. Have you seen some positives that have come from this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's been interesting. Um, some of the students that we saw that struggled, you know, under traditional learning models, you know, in the face-to-face -face approach, you know, have sh really been able to shine during this. And for whatever reason, right, sometimes it's just the fact that I'm not in that space with my peers and I'm kind of pressured maybe to behave a certain way or to do certain things because now I'm in my own space, right? I feel comfortable in my own space and these students are really able to to showcase what they know. And so that has been probably one of the, the best things that we've seen that come out of this. But I also think uh, just taking a different approach to learning right? There's always been this conversation around, and something that I've really wanted to break is this idea of that, you know, kind of education is a transactional experience, right? I do the work for you, you give me a grade, right? That That's all that is. I come to school to in, engage in these transactions when it should be so much more than that. And so right now with it not so focused on 
the outcome is being agreed, but being able to connect and, and dive deeper into subjects and have these conversations has really helped to, I think, have students look at learning in a different way. You know, the other day I was in a classroom and they were just engaged in a conversation, right? Just a discussion. There was no worksheet, no video, no slides. It was just a conversation around the topic. And one of the students said, you know, I really like this. I, I like to be able to have this conversation. And as somebody else said, yeah, I kind of feel like we're pro- little professional adults. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it, it was just like this. This is what we should have been doing all along, right? The kids are not saying, oh, I have to speak so that way I get an A or, or whatever. It was just let's sit down and have an authentic discussion around this topic. And so that has been some of these like, like how do we hang on to that? That is my biggest fear and challenge right now that I'm challenging my, even my teachers with is how do we capture these moments that are working out so well when we do go back into the building? I've been hearing a lot from teachers that I think that the frustration that many people feel, that there's obviously frustration with technology, frustration with a pandemic happening, but it seems that a root of quite a bit of frustration is coming from that feeling of being a master teacher in the classroom and a first-year teacher on remote learning. And I think it's so interesting to talk to so many teachers who truly believe in this growth mindset and want their students to fail and learn from it and are so encouraging of their own students to make mistakes, being so hard on themselves when they're making mistakes with new things. Like, are, are you seeing this? And what do you think the best way to deal with it as a leader is? You know, I, I do. I, I am absolutely seeing it. In fact, I, I, you know, I meet with grade levels every other week. Um, and so I just had, you know, a conversation yesterday with four of my groups. And, you know, this was a topic that came up. And, and one, I think that teachers hold themselves to this level of perfection because we're teachers, right? We're like, we are responsible for the learning of young people. And so like, we can't really mess up. Like if we mess up, then we mess up their learning and then we got to have to kind of do that all over again. So I think there's a part of that where they hold themselves to this unrealistic level of perfection. You know, but I think there's another layer of that is, you know, our approach to evaluations. Um, and, and I think, you know, Craig and I actually have talked about this um, and he and I have a very similar viewpoint is that, you know, we hold teachers oftentimes to unrealistic expectations, right? That there isn't much room for failure. And when we go in for those like two observations a year, right, they have to put on this like show of perfection. And it's really unfair to, you know, to, to the teachers, right? So what I've tried to do to, to reduce this is to mirror very much what we are trying to do with our students. So when we talk about that growth mindset, you know, we, for example, with students, one of the ways we do that is with portfolios, right? Students can document their learning, show mastery of their skills. And we don't go back to day one and say, well, yeah, I mean, you mastered it, you know, in, in, in April, but look where you were at in October, right? We, we don't do that or we're not supposed to. And so I feel the same way with my teachers. And so this year, um, you know, we've grown on this idea that I've had where we are doing portfolios and I'm asking my teachers to focus on areas that they want to, you know, to get better at as an educator, and, and they're collecting artifacts to show their growth, right? And so we're looking at that and so seeing how they're growing 
And I'm judging or I guess evaluating, if you want, this year, which I, I don't believe evaluation should even occur. But in the event that they're asked for, I want to see and I want to show them like we're, we're looking at your growth, right? We want to look at the end results, not at these snapshots, not at where you were um, and just trying to reduce that. Right. Because the reality is right now, no one knows anything about this. Nobody has the right answer. I mean, there's a ton of people out there who are proclaiming like this is how you teach remotely. Right. This is how you teach in a pandemic. And to be honest, none of us have done it. Right. We have some tools and some tips and tricks that might be applicable, but this is new for all of us. Right. And so so as long as teachers know that, like, you're not alone in this, as even as the leaders of the building, this is new for us as well. And just giving them, like showing them, right? I, I think it's one thing to tell them, hey, it's okay if you make mistakes. Hey, it's okay if you mess up. But it's a whole different thing to show them and create systems that support that, right? It goes back to my concept of walk your talk. Like you can't just go around preaching it's okay to mess up and then ding them. You have to create those systems. And so that's what I've been trying to do. And for yourself, because I know you're always trying to grow as an administrator, what are some goals that you've set for yourself and what are some areas that you're trying to improve in for this year? Yeah. So I I think one, and and the pandemic has helped with this, is really creating that life-work balance, knowing when to say, hey, it's work time and it is, you know, personal time. I think just like teachers and and I, I believe good administrators are in the same way that, you know, we we believe that we almost have to constantly be doing right in, in order to be effective. And I think that this pandemic has showed us that it's okay, right? It's okay to turn off your emails. It's okay to turn off your phone, you know, and to focus on building yourself. Because if you don't build on yourself, if you don't focus on yourself, you're not going to be good for anyone. And in fact, my my last podcast episode, this is exactly what I talked about was this is a journey for me during this pandemic is figuring out how do I take care of myself? Like, wh- how do I engage in things that are truly self-fulfilling? So then that way I could continue to pour into others because now is probably one of the most roughest times. Now is probably one of the most draining times. Um, and so I definitely need to make sure that I am coming from a place that I can support others. I know that one of the roles of an administrator is to discipline. And I've learned through this series that when I say discipline, it's really a much larger picture of not just enforcing consequences, but finding out the context of where bad behaviors are coming from and problem solving and aspects of restorative justice and all sorts of things. How has that aspect of your job, which is, you know, trying to guide young people to be making good choices, change when you're not seeing them every day? You know, I I really have to give a lot of credit to my dean. Um, So last year, he was really phenomenal in the way that, you know, he approached restorative justice. Um, And in fact, he he created his his space, the in-school solution room, um, which I loved. Um, And so he had come a long, long way. And I really appreciated that. And so we've created, you know, a very similar space virtually, right? We have a room where students can come into if they're struggling in the classroom and 
you know, just engage in many of those same practices, reflective practices, just some mindfulness exercises. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to be extremely honest here is that, and I'm sorry if any of your listeners are like, oh, you know, that's not fair. I think I've, we've maybe had two incidents all year thus far um, where we've had to pull students. When I say that it's different, right? Students being able to be in their own spaces, um, you know, being able to engage with learning in a variety of ways. Again, it's one of those things like I talked about earlier that how do we capture this, right? How do we continue this when we're back in the classrooms? Because, you know, our, our students know if, if I'm struggling, right, if, if I, can, I can get up and I can go take a break, right? I can go get a drink of water. I can go to the bathroom. I can unplug for a few minutes and then I can pop back into the lesson, right? So how does that look when we're in the building? Does that mean that students can take that break and can they go for a short walk, you know, whatever it may be. But the reality is we really haven't had, you know, issues, right? Discipline issues where we've had to address student behavior. I, I just think it's, again, I, and I'm going to continue to say this, I, I think that the approaches that we're putting in now, there, there's something there, right? And it's how do we continue to capitalize on that when we get back? Because, the results have been impressive. And I, I just think that maybe we need to change our perspective a little bit. Maybe it's not, you know, the result, right? It, it's how do we view that? How do we, you know, the, the perspective that we have, and maybe we just have to redefine a few things. What do you see as, for you, your ideal day? Like the day that just makes you happy during this pandemic when it comes to what you're seeing and experiencing as an administrator. You know, I, I've had, you know, several of those. And I think for me, the, the ideal day is, you know, I, I do, you know, my, my morning rounds, you know, as I, and as I pop into the classes, you know, I'm seeing students who are, you know, engaged and having fun. You know, the like, for example, the other day I saw a movement break where a teacher was using playing cards, right? So uh, a face card indicated what type of movement they were going to do. The number card indicated how many reps or sets they were going to do. As they were doing it, an added bonus was that as they were counting, they were counting in Spanish, right? And so these are second graders. So it's, you know, you, you've got counting, you've got Spanish, you got movement, all in this short little activity and, and they were having a blast with it, right? And so it's like those moments when I get to see kids truly engaged, you know, it, it's, you know, phenomenal. I have a middle school group who's engaged in film studies, you know, and I was able to have a deep conversation with them and participate in one where we watched, um, well, they watched The Immigrant with Charlie Chaplin. Even though it was a silent movie, you know, even though it's, you know, over 100 years old, they, they were really ripping it apart and comparing it to things of today, you know, of, about immigration and the irony of, you know, the, the Statue of Liberty, yet they had to be roped off on the boat. Or at the end of the movie, you know, that Charlie was dragging uh, the, the female character like kind of into the marriage and they were talking about, you know, how he, you know, used money to win her over and was like forcing her to marry her, you know, still issues today. And so, you know, giving space, right, and, and just really seeing students flourish and have these insights and conversations, and it's that to me, it, because I continue to say, right, that, that, that talent is equally dispersed, but opportunities are not. And, it, right, I, I've said that, you know, over and over and over again, and that is what I get to see, you know, and for, on my perfect day is 
being able to see that talent shine in our students, um, you know, just throughout. And then, of course, you know, being able to touch base with our, you know, the, the teachers and staff and, you know, hearing parents, you know, when I get those that feedback from parents, I host biweekly meetings with parents. We do check ins. And I love it when I say, you know, what can we do? You know, what, what questions, concerns and all they do is I have parents hop on with the only intention to tell me, Mr. Williams, you guys are doing great. Keep it up. You're doing phenomenal. And it's like, that's great. You know, those are those days I walk away like, yes, you know, we, th- this matters, right? This is why we do what we do. I know of at least one person through social media who has been thrust into a leadership position, perhaps their vice principal or principal has needed to take a leave of absence, what would your advice be to them if their first leadership position is taking over leadership during a pandemic? Like if you had a moment to sit down with them, what are the key things you would want to impart to them? So, you know, I I, I created this acronym and it, it stemmed from something that we we had done already. I didn't really have a name or an approach. It was just a practice that I had. Um, and so I've tried to formalize it. Uh, it's something that I have now shared in, in webinars and panels and things like that. Um, but it's called SMART. Um, and so it, it's five simple steps. Uh, so it's a process for leading, right, through crisis or through anything, to be honest. And I call it a process because... It's not a specific plan for a specific situation, right? It's a process that could be applied to anything. And so the first thing is to slow down, right? I, I think so often we are in these leadership positions and you feel like I have to, I have to give answers, right? I have to do, I, I have to show, and it's okay to stop and slow down for a second. You know, like when this whole pandemic first hit, I was surprised at the amount of my colleagues who you know, they drafted plans like within days, you know, and they had all these things. And I was like, whoa, guys, like, how are you doing all of this when there's so many unknowns, right? But there was this, ur- I call it the urge to surge, right? To, to move forward, to provide responses. But in reality, slow down and take inventory, right? Which is the second part of that is to kind of make lists. Um, and, and we talk about focusing on those things that, what, what, you know, what are solutions that we can do? What are, you know, what are viable options? You know, moving into A is to accept the fact that we have limited control. And I think for leaders, that is the biggest thing. And that is probably the most difficult thing is the fact that we have very limited control, right? There's a lot of things that matter right now, but if we look at the things that we actually have control over, and that small space that overlaps with those things that matter, it's a very small area. And that's, you know, the second part or the, the technically the fourth part of this is the R, right? To refocus on those things. Because if we spend time and energy focused on all of those things over which we have absolutely no control, we are going to burn ourselves out, right? And, and so there's no point in doing that. And then the last part of it, the, the T, is just to be able to, to monitor and, and track your progress, to be able to say, is this working? Because if it's not working, kind of going through those steps again, right? But those are, I, I think, the, the two key factors there. First of all is to slow down and pause if you have to, right? And, and to understand that we have very limited control in this situation. 
And once you realize that and you're able to kind of look at things through those lenses, like, wait, is this something I have control over or no? If not, put it to the side. I know that's a challenge, but put it to the side because you will burn yourself out if you focus on those things. During the presidential debates, I and even before that in in the primaries, I spent a lot of time thinking about the American national leadership and how that kind of trickles down into schools and the different types of leaders that we see, like the bombastic, I'm confident, I will never admit to having made a mistake compared to a person that is perhaps seeking other voices to weigh in. And, you know, obviously there's the gender and race and all that stuff that then intersect into how we view people in leadership positions. What type of leader do you think is having the worst time now? You know, I I know some people are going to disagree with this, but I, I think it's those bombastic very proud leaders, right? Those who feel, you know, I, I know exactly what needs to be done. I'm standing here with a sense of confidence and, and I get it, right? Leaders need to have that, and there, but there always needs to be a sense of balance. But if you come out with this, you know, kind of, I guess, a presumption like that you've been through this, you know what to do, just follow my lead. I don't need assistance. I don't need guidance. Because the reality is that you're going to run into issues, right? And and I say that because we see people surging forward. For example, with schools, you know, they're reopening. And then a week or two later, they're shutting back down, right? Because they were not ready. And it's okay to say we're not ready. It's okay to say I don't know what we need to do, but we're going to figure this thing out. But what we continue to see is, right, like those those bold moves are backfiring. And not only then is it backfiring on the front, but what happens to your followers and and their trust and their belief in your ability, right? I, I heard someone once say that leaders should always be quick to make decisions, you know, and even if you make a bad decision, at least they know that you make decisions. And I don't know, personally, I think that I would rather follow someone who who takes their time, makes an informed decision, and that decision is meaningful and lasting as opposed to making a series of decisions, all that have to be backtracked and we have to redo, right? And, and, and I do that through the lens of my teachers, right? If, if we move in one direction and it doesn't work, then we have to shift. And maybe from the comfort of my office or my leadership position, it's an easy thing to do on paper, right? But as teachers, as families, as students, right, there's a lot more that goes into that shift, that is not fair to them to say, okay, well, now we have to go this way. Oh, wait, now I got to figure out how to operate under this model. You know, for me, that is not acceptable. And so my belief is that those leaders who are overly bold, um, uh, I guess, cocky or conceited even, you know, those are the ones that are probably going to have the worst time. Yeah, they look great in the spotlight, Right. But I think that if we dig into those decisions and the outcomes of some of those decisions, you know, my guess is maybe they're not as great as they would like to be seen. So I know a lot of people listening are going to want to hear more from you and your perspectives. How can they hear you talk about this more? 
You know, so um, I, I, the best place would be my, my podcast, the Counter Narrative Podcast. Um, you can find it all over Google, Spotify. Uh, School Rubric helps me by hosting it. So, yeah, you can find that all over. Um, and then as well as Twitter. Um, you know, I'm very active on Twitter. Um, and so you can find uh, under at underscore CW Consulting. And so, you know, I engage in, you know, Twitter chats all the time and things like that. So if anybody wants to hear more or to engage, those would pro- probably be the best two avenues. Awesome. Well, thank you again for lending me and the listeners some time. I really appreciate your perspective. Aviva, thank you for uh, for allowing me to share. And, um, you know, thank you for connecting with me again. I, I, I enjoy having these conversations with you. episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will remain available on your preferred podcasting platform. More details about this episode, links to resources or people we mentioned, and information in general about the podcast and its mission can be found at lessonimpossible.com. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help other listeners discover it by rating and reviewing on iTunes, forwarding it to a colleague, or posting a link in your favorite educational chat. This has been Less Than Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.